0: Hi right, Fred, I'm really happy that we're doing this because it's coming at a really good time. Congrats are in order. You all clinched a play in spot. How you feeling?
1: No, uh <laughs> that's not something I ever thought would be a celebration. But uh we're here, you know, just trying to finish up um last couple weeks, put ourselves in good position. So it's you know, it's a good thing to be able to at least fight for a chance to make it. So you yeah. got to try to be positive about it.
0: So I know that you are very much so like a basketball
1: purist. Mm-hmm. So
0: you had thoughts about what the play-in tournament was going to be originally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have those thoughts shifted at all? How do you feel about the play-in now?
1: I mean, I'm, I'm happy there's a play-in now because, <laughs> you know, we need it. But uh, again, I think, you know, the game is changing a little bit. Uh, the league is is changing things and switching it up. So just trying to keep an open mind with it. Um, understanding that, you know, it's here. Yeah. So you got to be able to adapt and adjust. Um I'm Not saying that it would have been my idea, you know what I mean? But, you know, we're here and hopefully, you know, it gives us a chance to uh sneak into the playoffs this year.
0: So separately from, you know, you and your opinion on it, how do you feel like the plan has affected the way players play at this point in the season?
1: It's changed everything. I think just from a business standpoint, you know, you you're adding two extra slots, nine and ten now, who... In other seasons, maybe that gap will be a little bit different. I think eight and nine sometimes is a little uh was a race down to the last week, but like mm-hmm. now you got teams that's eleventh in their conference fighting for the tenth spot, so it's like. It makes it more competitive down the stretch. Um It makes everything way more dramatic. Uh, which <laughs> by design. By design. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got to be able to just be aware and keep an open mind to that. I think, you know, that's a big part of it is just yeah. more drama. You know, hopefully more viewers and people are watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, every game for the last couple of weeks for most of the teams have, has been very... uh um, big in terms of the standing. so yeah. um, I think it's working from the NBA standpoint.
0: For sure, I'm sure they are very happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's also one of those things you love it if you're maybe not involved, but right. <laughs> when right. you're involved, it's kind of like I don't yeah. know if I'm. No, no this.
1: doubt. I mean, with last year, we I think we made it to like six or something. The previous mm-hmm. years, it was like you know we weren't in it, so you got a whole different perspective. But now this year, being in that spot um, definitely changes things. But you know, like I said, just trying to be positive about it.
0: Yes. And you also just um, established a franchise record for assists in a game with 20. (laughs)
1: It's
0: a lot of assists. Uh, Did the night feel special before the game started or when did you know?
1: Uh, No, not really. I mean, we had a tough loss in Philly. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming in here to Charlotte that's playing, you know, playing a a team with all their guys out. So they're playing a lot of their younger players, development guys. So just trying to go out there and be aggressive and get a win um, really was all was on my mind. And, um, the numbers just came. So it was really just in the flow of the game and just trying to be aggressive.
0: Well, I mean, you know, humble brag for you, but you now <laughs> hold the franchise record for assists in a game and points in a game. Yeah. Um, and you were asked about that last night and you had a quote. You said, the further I get away from 54, meaning the points, mm-hmm. the more I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that?
1: Um, just because like, just for example, yesterday was a 2020 and, you know, my automatically my next thought is like, do it again. You know what I mean? So I'm already focused on the next thing. When I scored fifty four, I was like, I could have really had seventy. So the next game I try to go do it again and I played terrible in Brooklyn and then, you know, you right back to to normal. So um I think just trying to focus on the next thing, you lose sight of the moment and then now I look back like, man, I really had, you know, a fifty point game and um it's getting more common now, but, you know, it's still a, a short list of people. And, um, you know, you got to be appreciative of the moment.
0: Why do you think it is so much more common now? Like, there has been a crazy number of 50-plus yeah. point games just this season.
1: Yeah, I think the the players are getting better. I think the defense mm-hmm. is getting harder to play. I think the rules are favoring the offense for sure. And the players are just getting that much better. And the scores are going up. So, naturally, mm-hmm. you just see a rise in scoring. and. um these guys with the three point shot now, um, we are seen seventies, you know, become more of a thing. Like mm-hmm. it's going to keep going up, you know, that we've got incredible guys, incredible scores and skill sets in this league. And I think that's a big reason why.
0: Do you consider yourself an older guy in this
1: league? Um, no, but I'm starting to feel that way, you know, as, as the games go on, as the, as the years go on, like, um, seven is just like a, kind of like a middle point, you know what I mean, where it's a solid start. I still am always going to feel young. You know, I live young. Like, mm-hmm. I think of myself as a young guy. That's how I came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but just seeing so many of the young guys coming in. And for me, all of the other players that have traveled the same roads that I have and being able to have relationships with those guys, um, whether it's just a brief moment before or after a game or, um dm you know, just seeing how much impact the influence of the next generation of players that's watched that watch me play and watch me make my way into the league. I think that's what makes me feel old, even mm-hmm. though you know I feel pretty young in the league,
0: so I mean what you're twenty nine mm-hmm. you're franchise cornerstone, you've won a ring at this point in your career, what are you looking for?
1: um more, just more of everything um yeah. just not being satisfied, I think. But the only really itch I have right now is to try to get another championship. That's really the main thing that drives me every day. And i um, just building myself up to be a dependable point guard that can win a championship. And I think that's really all I think about because out of everything I've done, that is the highest or the high that you can get. Um, it's a team award. It's a franchise award, organization award. Um, it takes the entire group. It takes a full year. Um, to achieve it. And that's just, you know, that's the top of the mountain. So just yeah. trying to find ways to get back to that is really, you know, the only itch I have. Everything else is going to come with me just striving to be the best I can be and mm-hmm. letting everything fall where it is.
0: You touched on it a little bit, but obviously there's been a lot of talk over the past weeks about just ring culture mm-hmm. and how we define success in the NBA. You winning a championship, Seeing how hard it is, seeing what it takes, how did that change how you view brain culture and the weight that we put on having championships?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's like a double edged sword for me because I think winning it made me understand why we put so much emphasis on that because it is such a hard thing to do. Um, but also seeing exactly what took what it took to get there. Um, allowed me to have a greater perspective on guys that hadn't won one. Because when, mm-hmm. when you don't know, you just always just attribute it to like, oh, this guy wasn't good enough to win a ring. or But it's like, it's so much more than just one person. It goes into everything that the organization is doing, from ownership down to a, a official here, a missed call here, a sprained ankle here, a couple injuries in the finals for us, um, for Golden State. Like, it was just so much that went into that year. We traded our franchise player. We fired the coach of the year. Like, mm-hmm. it was so much that went into winning that championship for us that it changed the way I looked at, you know, some of the superstars in this league that get a bad rap for not winning a ring because there's just so much that goes into it.
0: I also think it's interesting that not winning a ring always falls on the players.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah. uh,
0: it takes a lot of people, but yeah. the only people that were saying we're not worthy of this ring were the people on the court. Yeah. But what about everybody that makes the decisions?
1: Yeah, I think for me, this, I just sum it up. Like, I'm not really a debater like when it comes to basketball. Like, I'll talk amongst my peers and, you know, the locker room and things like that. But like, I think it really only comes up in like debate culture, yeah. basketball, you know, it's used as a point of reference for whatever argument you're trying to make. Other than that, it's probably should just be used as, you know, bragging rights for players amongst themselves. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, I, saw, I talked to B-Shaw this year after we played the Clippers and he was joking, you know, with me and Norm. Oh, y'all, y'all only got one. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, right. You know what I mean? Something like that. Like that was a cool, funny little jab that was like, all right. I get that part of it. But like for fans or people on TV or whatever to be trying to tear a guy, you know, a superstar down for not winning a ring, I think it's a little crazy.
0: No, for sure. Did winning that ring in that moment that you won the championship, did it feel exactly how you thought it would feel? Did it live up to it? Did it not? Yeah,
1: it exceeded all expectations. It really did because... You think about the moment, you think about some of the plays that you want to make, you think about being a guy, think about, obviously you see, you only know what you see, um, because most guys don't go to the finals if they're not in it, right? But you think about the confetti, you think about celebrating, holding the trophy up in the champagne, and that's really about it, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But it's like so many other little moments in there, like just on the phone with my mom crying, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She crying as soon as I call her, um the parade, like, and just being a big part of that moment for that last game was, was a special, you know, for me and my career. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just try to build on that since then.
0: No, I love that. It's, it certainly was a, a really great moment. Um, weird question, but when did basketball start feeling like a job to you? When did that shift happen?
1: Um, uh, I would say of the last couple of years, last two or three years. Um, mm-hmm. Even my first couple years, you know, I was just so hungry and just so ready to make a statement and make my name and get a real contract, you know what I mean, that I was just focused on every single day. I was still having fun. I think, you know, as your role grows and expectation grows and money grows, like your plate gets a little bit bigger of things that you're required to do or asked to do. So there's some days when, it, you know, you feel like it's a job, but I think having uh Love and passion for the game is what eliminates all of that. So, mm-hmm. just get lost in the work and get lost in the craft and just enjoy playing basketball. But there's so much other things that come with it now. Um, it's turned into like a 24-hour news cycle, three you know, 365 mm-hmm. a year. So um, it's a little annoying in that regard sometimes, but you know, just keep a good perspective and just understand how blessed I am to be in this position. I think that always will balance it back out.
0: Yeah. In the Last Dance documentary when Scottie Pippen was talking, he was like, I would do the basketball for free. Yeah. They pay you for the bullshit. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, and I that's I a great like, quote. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of what most NBA players feel like. It's that you're having to deal with all of that ancillary stuff.
1: Yeah. That I mean, it comes with it. I think as a, as the years go by, and, and like I said before, the game grows. Like, it's just so much other multimedia entertainment values, stuff that comes mm-hmm. with it. Um, you know, I have a young family to travel, you know, be in a ways. All of that stuff piles into it, but, like, this is all I ever really wanted to do my whole life, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm. it's allowed me, the game has allowed me to be in this position and see other things, to... Even have a chance to know that I want to do something else, you know yeah. what I mean? And like I can never forget that, so I just try to be good to the game itself, and and always, you know, pay that back with how I approach every day.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking of, so I had Tyrese Halliburton on the show, and he mm-hmm. tells me a story about his rookie year. Game's over, you all beat them, and he said that you came up to him and you were like, "Yo, I see something in you," you know, mm-hmm. like. Right now you're coming off the bench. What do you do to be a six man? Then what do you do to be a starter? Then what do you do to be an all star? Do you remember this moment that you had with Tyrese?
1: Yeah, I did not remember it until he said it. When I seen him, when I seen him, uh, when I saw the interview, I remembered it. But I never thought nothing of it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I do that. I do that to guys who probably never turn out to be him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of guys in this league with talent that's just waiting on the right opportunity and the right moment. So. I remember that after he said
0: it. Yeah. What prompted you to do that with Tyrese?
1: I think it was, uh, obviously I've seen him at Iowa State. Um, I follow basketball. So, you know, I, I was watching him and we were getting ready to play him, and he had been playing really well. He was shooting, like, 40 from three at the time,
0: mm-hmm. and he was
1: coming off the bench, and every time he checked in, they would go on these runs, like, I'm doing my homework, right? We're getting ready to play him. And then the coaches come with the scouting report, and they're like, man, this kid, he's funky. He's got a little weird shot. It takes the time to, to <laughs> get it up, but it, it, don't leave him open. He can shoot. Like, don't don't fall asleep. Don't sleep on this kid. He played well against us again. And um it was just one of those things where it was like I could see that there was something there, but I could also see him trying to figure it out and being, coming off the bench, even though he probably should have had a ball in his hands and the team wasn't that great at the time. So it was like, he was playing behind Fox and um I just saw, I, I had been in that position where I felt like I could do more, felt like, you know, I knew what I could do. I was just waiting on my moment and I just wanted to let him know that because some guys will get lost in the, the game of like waiting your turn, you can get mm-hmm. lost in that. You know, if there's not a real reason why you're not getting your opportunity, you just got to wait. Most guys will kind of like check out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Getting ahead of yeah, it. Yeah, because stated. you're che- you you're getting paid regardless. You come to work the same no matter what. And then sometimes it's like, there's really no reason why you're not playing. You just got to wait your turn. Yeah. You know, it's just the pecking order and how things go.
0: You know, I love when he told me that story because to him, it clearly meant so much. Right. It's a thing that he cherished, a thing that he still thinks about. Do you, you were like, I remember doing it, but I didn't remember until yeah. it happened. So it was this small moment for you that was huge for him. Mm-hmm. Did you have that moment? Who yeah. did that
1: for you? Absolutely. It was a lot of guys. Um, one that I really remember, and I think we talked about him before, was JJ, was JJ Reddick. And um, somehow I ended up, being the guy that they wanted me to guard, JJ, chase him around and stuff like that. So like literally he was checking in and I was checking in and we were standing there at the at the scores table. He just tapped me. He's like, yo, man, like you're one of my favorite players to watch in the league. Like, and I'm, you know, I'm still coming off the bench. I'm playing like 15, 18 minutes a game. I know I'm nice, but like, I'm not doing nothing crazy. And in my head, I'm just like, damn, this JJ Reddick." you know, like I watched him at Duke. You know, like I got a ton of respect for him. Um, and then it was like a split second. I was like, "All right, he's just trying to throw you off." You know what I mean? He's trying to throw you off. So, so you, you know what I mean? We yeah. go down, and as soon as we check in, I'm guarding him. He throw throw a little elbow right in my chest. Boom! Run off a screen. I'm like, "All right, yeah, that's I a see, yeah. yeah, that's a vet. That's a vet. right? That's an old vet trick the right there." Move,
0: trying to gas me.
1: Yeah, but then we we talked a little bit after the game. Um, there was a lot of guys, and then me and Kyle we would just go down the list of, like, game plans and scout reports of teams and be like, all right, you better than him, you better than him, you better than him. And, like, you know, before I knew it, there wasn't many other point guards or backups at the time that um, I thought were better than me. So that was, like, my marker to keep going and keep working until I got my opportunity.
0: What kind of mental fortitude does it take to know you're nice, mm-hmm. but also know that, like, everybody else isn't seeing it?
1: Yeah, it takes a lot. You got to be mentally strong. But again, I think you just got to know the situation that you're in and be realistic about that first. So like me from day one, I always challenged Kyle like I was just as good as him. Now, the first couple weeks of the season was very humbling because I was like, all right, I can't do what he's doing. Like, I couldn't do it, you know what I mean? So what do I do? Instead of me sitting there mad that I'm not playing, I'm going to try to learn as much from him as possible, knowing that there's a gap there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. A seven, eight-year gap. Like, when he's done here, then I'll still be here, you know what I mean? So I was trying to learn as much from him as possible, so much so that we got super close and ended up playing together, right? Which was even better yeah. because we we helped each other so much. So that's just how I approached it at the time. And mm-hmm. um, I've never played for a bad coach and I've never had an issue with any of my coaches. So that's something that I've been blessed to be able to say. And if there's any ever um, miscommunication or anything, like, I always just try to be upfront about it and mm-hmm. like, why am I not playing? Or what do I need to do? What do you give me something? So my first couple years, I would just ask the assistants, like, what do I need to work on? Mm. All right, you need to speed up your release. You need to pick up full court every time you check into the game. Um, Rex Kalamian, um, he told me, he told all the young guys at the time, like, when we call your name, You know, to come in the game, you need to run to the score table. Like, don't walk. Don't be down there hiding. Don't sit all the way at the end in the tunnel. Like, sit next to the coaches. Mm -hmm. So, I just try to take as many of those gems as I could. And um, it helped me a lot. Yeah.
0: I mean, obviously, we all know, bet on yourself. That is your motto, your mantra. But it feels like at every step of your career, you have been trying or having to prove who you are to other people. Yeah. Do you still feel like you're trying to prove who you are to others?
1: No, I I never really looked at it like that. I, and, and the bet on yourself thing became a big thing, but it's like, it's really who I am. Like, I really live like that. Like, it's not just a saying. It's like the way I live is my personality is, you know, my mm-hmm. character. So I always just looked at like proving myself right. Mm-hmm. proving my loved ones right. I never really worry about, like, trying to convince somebody. They'll they'll catch on eventually. Yeah. For me, it's, like, proving to myself that I can do it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I know how I feel about myself. And until I go out there and prove it, it's not valid. So every step of the way, it's always going to be doubters for me. Like, I just know that. That's how my whole life has been. That's not going to change. And, um. It's great. It's a great position to be in. You know, I never have to worry about getting too big-headed. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. I always got to overcome some type of challenge or obstacle or whatever, critic, whatever it is. Uh, It just keeps me focused and, you know, keeps me sharp.
0: So if you look at your journey in basketball, what moment would you double down on and say, this moment fueled me to get where I'm at?
1: Mm, it's crazy. I had to go all the way back to high school maybe yeah probably high school and I was um, maybe 10th 10th or 11th grade somewhere in there and there was a there was like this message board forum before all of this stuff came out it was this yeah. message board forum that was talking about some of the state recruits and there was like this one comment that my brother had showed me and it was just talking about like Fred will never play in college. He'll never play D one. Like he's not, he's not good enough. He's gonna be a junior college D three player, something like that, right? And mm-hmm. here I am thinking, like, man, I'm about to go to Kentucky. Like that's just how I felt at the time. You know what I mean? But it was like one thing that was like, all right, I can't, I can't let that dude be right. I can't let that do that. And of course, mm-hmm. along the way, there's so many other things. But like, that's one thing that sticks out to me. I, I, I'm still trying to find it because I would like frame that comment. Yeah. Um. But yeah, stuff like that is is just, you know, you just add it to the list.
0: Why do you think that one specifically? Do you think it was just the first time that you really blatantly saw someone talking about you in that way?
1: Yeah. And it was the first time that I saw somebody be so drastically far away from how I felt about myself because you can never really control how people see you or perceive you or view you. But like, I knew how I felt about myself. I'm going D1, I'm going to the biggest, best school and I'm going first year, one and done to the league, lottery pick. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what I thought about myself, you know? Um, And then here's this person that took the time to type this up on a computer somewhere. with such conviction. About a 14, 15 year old kid. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that, you know, that that's not true
0: we gotta find homie and see look
1: <laughs> yeah i gotta look it up I gotta, I gotta find it somewhere it's somewhere i'm gonna find it
0: yeah was there ever a moment that you almost succumbed to that thinking
1: um i had a couple real low moments i think um my first day of college practice i called my mom i wanted to quit i was so tired and so sick like i caught like the flu for 24 hours like Coach ran us in the dirt. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever done to this day. My first preseason practice at Wichita State as a freshman, college freshman. I went back to my dorm room. I called my mom. I'm like, "Ma, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if I could do this. And she was laughing. And, you know, she was just like, man, you'll get through it. You know, take a nap or whatever. Call me when you get up. So I went to sleep. I woke up. I was fine, obviously. but I was, <laughs> was going to
0: say, were you actually close? No, nah, I was just, the just like
1: physically sick. Like I had never yeah. been physically sick from playing basketball, and mm-hmm. I was just like, it was day one, and we had like thirty days of that before the first preseason game. So in my head, I'm like, I can't do this again.
0: Yeah,
1: God, because I got there, and I'm a, you know, I'm a try hard. So like, I'm going dumb hard. I'm trying to be first <laughs> in sprints. All the vets, all the seniors, they faking injuries so they don't have to like run the sprints. They yeah. faking hamstrings, stuff like that. But uh, I didn't know no better at the time, so I'm doing everything all out. Um, but I was fine the next day. And then draft night, you know, that was a that was a moment. It wasn't like I was gonna quit, but it was definitely a moment where I was just like, All right, I gotta I gotta get back in my bag and figure out how my you know, my what's my next move.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well now you're in the league. Yeah. You've lived that dream. Obviously a lot of discourse happening in the NBA right now about referees. <laughs> <laughs> um, you might know a little something about that. Yeah. Broad question. <laughs> What do you want to see from referees? I asked Spencer Dinwiddie the same question. Just tell me what you want to see from referees.
1: Um, I think for me, the really only thing I want, as somebody who is, you know, one of the leaders on my team, somebody who communicates with the officials like throughout the game, um, I would just like to see more uh, of a better relationship between the players and the officials, you know, and um, they got an impossible job, you know, for sure. Um, especially with social media and like there's people on Twitter breaking down every call and they posting it like the refs are going through what some of the players have been going through for the longest now where you are getting publicly ridiculed and you are getting you gotta read through comments about how bad you were and you know, so they're adjusting in real time, but I think just the like the discourse and the communication between the players and the refs has gone a little sideways with the new rules of, like, what's a technical file and what's not. Mm. So, let's just get back to, like, unsportsmanlike conduct, right? You cussing and fussing or, you know, you you tripping, right? We know how to get a tech. Like, I've been in league long. I know how to earn a tech. But, like, slapping the hands, you know, the rules, I think, they just gotta be better what's the word? I don't know. Jurisdiction or, you know, better uh, a better feel for the actual game in the moment and not like, all right, this is the rule and this is how I'm going to call it. Yeah. Because just because it's the rule, don't make it right. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think that unless it's some long-term play I don't fully understand yet, I just don't see how that benefits our game. Mm -hmm. You know, I think letting the players have emotion and being able to react. And again, I'm going to get eight to 10 texts on a year just because I play with fire and, you know, mm-hmm. I understand that part. But some of them are like, it's getting, it's going a little too far on the other side. Right. The game, we got a competition committee. They are going to handle whatever comes within the calls and the changes we make to the rules and things like that. But mm-hmm. just the communication would be my biggest thing. And, and all of the older veteran referees are really good at it. They know yes. how to listen. They know how to let you been here blow steam. To, yeah. They'll give you a tech if you're tripping and they'll walk away. You know what I mean? They know how to do it. It's some of the the younger ones that are still learning and, and trying to find themselves. That's like They're using the tech as like a weapon, like a defense. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like,
0: I have this and I can give it to it's you. It's like an
1: authority thing. And it's, yeah. it's just, I don't believe the game should be like that. Not mm-hmm. at this level. Yeah.
0: Now, I mean, I know you apologized for the talk that you had in, in the press conference to um, Ben Taylor. But were you happy that you were able to speak your mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, and I said it then, like, I'm human. You know, I'm pretty um, measured and well-reserved most of the time. I I, I don't speak my mind all the time. So that was something that just came out. It just happened. You know, I was frustrated. Mm -hmm. We had a couple bad nights in a row. And um, I, I don't really regret it. You know, maybe not saying his name, so it wasn't so much attention on him. But, mm-hmm. you know, obviously he was on my mind at the time. So <laughs> uh, I don't have an issue with Ben. You know, there's have no... Have you been able to speak? We talked when when the last time we played, like, it'll be regular. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I made my point, And I think that um, we saw the reception around the league. Like, I wasn't only speaking for myself. I watched multiple games every night.
0: You mm-hmm. know what I mean?
1: So I know what I'm talking about. Um again, I paid the fine. I did, you know, I did the crime. I did the time. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So every ref
1: that I've been seeing, you know, from then on, I've been letting them know, like, hey, I made my point. I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. I don't want no more smoke. I don't want no, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I, I had to do it. I had to get that out and, you know, let's move on. So yeah. it wasn't really that like a big of a thing for me, but in that moment, you know, I had to speak my mind.
0: Yeah. And it also, honestly, it probably did just like feel good to say, okay, this is how I feel. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to say sorry and we'll move on from it. But you want to see some sort of change, you know, and the only yeah. way to do that is to talk about it.
1: Yeah. And I think just for me, like, I'm not going to not say something when I think it's wrong. And I just thought that the way that that situation had been going on for me personally and for our team and the things that I've been watching, mm-hmm. I do think is wrong. And yeah. I'm not saying I'm perfect and I make a ton of mistakes, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I don't usually even appeal my texts or argue most of my texts because I know what I'm doing before I do it. But some of those ones was just like, all right, bro, what are we doing?
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't stand for this.
1: Yeah, like, come on,
0: man. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's a good clip.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a very good clip. Yeah, and I, I love get,
0: how, oh, go ahead.
1: I'm a little embarrassed about it now because I'm just looking like, damn. Like, I didn't have to do all of that, but... I was just in the moment. They I didn't even really ask me a question about it. I just kind of, I felt like I didn't have nothing else to, to do. Like when I was talking to him, I couldn't get through to him. So I'm just like, all right.
0: Yeah. Like Mike's in front of my, my face now.
1: Like my name is, carries a lot of weight and my word carries weight. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's something I'm learning to deal with too.
0: Yeah. Well, because I was going to say, you could argue that the fact that you don't do things like this all the time. Yeah. It carries more of that weight because, like, okay, if Fred is deciding to speak about this, yeah. he feels it, and I think that's what people felt around the league.
1: Yeah, and I and I think also there's a lot of guys just like me, even more respectable than me, that feel the exact same way. It's just that when you get up to the microphone, you just always think like, "All right, is this worth? If is it worth thirty thousand? Is it worth fifty thousand? Is it worth fifteen thousand? I don't want to get these people my money, so you usually just." Don't say nothing. But I mean, in that moment, I just was like, I don't care what it's, you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. care what the fine is going to be. I got to get this off. And um, that was really it. Yeah.
0: No, like I said, I, I have it saved. I'm like, I might <laughs> I might need to do a little, some memes off that. <laughs> um, I want to talk new CBA a little bit. Obviously, these still have to be ratified by players, team governors. It's all tentative. Um, but there have just been reports that have come up about it. I'm going to say one of the things you do with thumbs up or thumbs down Mm -hmm. and how you feel about it, okay? (laughs) And you tell me why. Mandatory 65 games played to be eligible for postseason awards.
1: I don't mind that one. I didn't didn't think that one was that crazy. Like, that's fair. You know what I mean? It sucks for guys that's going to be injured, you know, some of the best players in the league that may have missed time. But, like, 65 is, is a fair number, I think you know, to be eligible. It'll be interesting to see how that, you know, affects the all-NBA stuff. Yeah. Which is the only one that I'm a little torn about, like MVP and some of the other ones, but like all-NBA. Yeah, if you're the best 15 for 64 games, like, you know what I mean? That that, that would be tough. But, uh, yeah, they got... They, they're, they have to try to show that they're doing something. So I get that one.
0: See, because that's the only thing that's going to happen. It's like, there's going to be a guy that played 63. Uh He's going to say, so I don't get this because I played 63 games. Mm -hmm. There's never going to be a number that appeases all people. And even when you look, it's like 65 games and you look at some of the stars in the league, a lot of them haven't reached that due to injuries and stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's never going to be enough. But I understand it for those like, those big rewards, like MVP. Yeah. I mean, I
1: get it why they're trying to do it. They want the best players to play more games. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if you can reel that back in at this point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also, what's going to happen when somebody has a sprained ankle and they suit up to play for 30 seconds and they sub out to make sure that they're yeah. eligible. Like, you know, that's something that we may see as well. So, I don't yeah. know. But again, I'm not in the office to, you know, make these rules or changes. So, I'm not going to criticize them. But um, yeah. I didn't mind that one.
0: Okay. The in-season tournament. Thumbs up, thumbs down.
1: Thumbs down only because, like I said before, like, I don't think the game needs all of this new stuff that we're doing. But like I told you off air, in 20 years, we're not going to recognize the game anyway. Yep. You know what I mean? The same way the guys from the 80s and 90s probably don't re- recognize what they're watching now. Um Anytime a hardwood hardwood classics come on and I'm watching 10 players inside the paint in the restricted areas, <laughs> yeah, like, like
0: what nobody
1: standing behind the three-point line, <laughs> you know, it's going to look like that probably to us when we're done. So mm-hmm. just being in the middle of some of the changes, you know, again, try to be open-minded about it. It'd probably be, it's probably going to be crazy, though, like you yeah. know, after a couple of years, go by. Yeah. Competitive. prize
0: money.
1: Yeah. Like add a little it, element. It, it should be some good hoops, you know, mm-hmm. and then early part of this season. So Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at that. But I would say I wouldn't have, like, made that up. I wouldn't have voted for that.
0: Yeah. I don't know if I ever thought in my head, oh, like, one day when I watch the NBA, there will be an (laughs) in-season tournament where, like, you win $500,000 if you win it all. You know, like, I just that's not a thing that you think about happening. But I think the play-in tournament's very exciting. So I'm sure the in-season tournament will be um, very exciting. Same
1: thing. I mean, the game is changing drastically. So Mm -hmm. just try to be open-minded about it.
0: Okay, weed removed from the drug testing program.
1: Uh, Thumbs up. I think okay. that was, I mean, pretty much already in place. Yeah, you know, It just basically. made it official um, since COVID. Um, yeah, I think, you know, anything with balance and responsibility makes mm-hmm. sense. And I don't think you can justify alcohol without, you know what I mean, marijuana. So uh, I'm not mad at that one either.
0: Okay, last CBA one. Uh, one and done rule stays the
1: same. That one I was surprised about. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that yet, but um, I thought that one was gonna change. They had been talking about trying to get that one changed for a while, but um, they didn't get it done on this one. Um, again, maybe with the nil changing and the business model changing a little bit, bought them a little more time. It really only sucks for the guys that's ready to go right away. Yeah, like, and that's not that many people. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at a guy maybe like Paolo or. Um, schooled, or you know mm-hmm. even um, Victor, Victor probably would. you know what I mean like those type of guys but they don't come around that often So right. uh, I get it but I, I don't know I yeah. spent four and, like half, four and a half years yeah. at college it don't really <laughs> apply to me
0: <laughs> but it was a heck of a time especially yeah. in March <laughs> um, I do want to talk about the Raptors season a little bit uh, I know Nick Nurse described this as a difficult season for him what has the season been for you?
1: Uh um, just up and down. It's just been a lot of everything. It's been really good. It's been bad at times. It's been fun. It's been depressing. I think we've we've seen it all. We've had injuries. We play well. We play bad. Um, we've had a lot of different little seasons in one. So I would just say roller coaster up and down Um, for some of our group that's been together, that's been around since the championship and before. Um, It's all new charter you know uncharted territory but mm-hmm. we're used to being at the top and now we're a little bit you know lower than that and we're adjusting to it so uh yeah it's been it's been a weird year for sure but again just trying to stay focused and finish up on a good note
0: mm-hmm. so i was looking stuff up you know looking some of your stats and the games that you've played in do you feel like just historically you struggle against the sixers
1: um, I have had struggles against the Sixers for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in the playoffs, which, which I can never get that back. So that will always be there. Um, the championship year, uh, I can never get that impression back. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also been games where I've, score 30 and 20, you know, and, and beat them and play well, too, during a regular season. So I've had some success and I've had some struggles. And um, mm-hmm. I think uh, since Doc's been there, they definitely guard me differently and show me a lot of attention mm-hmm. with this team. And um, I got off to a decent start in the playoffs last year before I got hurt. Uh, I didn't shoot it well after the first couple of games. But, um, yeah, for sure, they definitely um, they definitely guard me and show me a lot of attention. Yeah,
0: because I was gonna say, what do you think you attribute that to? The times that you have struggled, I know it hasn't yeah. been every outing.
1: Well, the first time in the playoffs was just more so me in the role that I was in against that matchup. It just wasn't a good matchup for me at the time. You know what I mean? Where my game was, and I was really just running around playing defense and trying to get some catch and shoots. And I, mm-hmm. you know, you miss a couple of those. Now you not making any, and um, it just wasn't my time at that time. And then, you know, fast forward again, like I'm one of the main focal points of the team. So Mm -hmm. um, to me, anytime I get draw attention, double teams or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I've done my job. But I got to find a way to be more effective when I'm being keyed in on for sure. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, I'm not going to ask you about the specifics of your contract situation. I know you said that you don't want to talk about that. Um, You said, I think, in the beginning of the season. But when you think about rumors, when you see trade rumors, when you see your name in the news, Is it just weird for you to think about a time not being a Raptor, being that it's been your whole career
1: in Toronto? Yeah, for sure. And it's not really something I ever thought about. You know what I mean? Like even within all the rumors, because I have such a great relationship with Management and ownership, like it's really a family thing. So, like even when all the outside noise was going on, there really was no talk behind the scenes. At least with me and them, of like, hey, we might move you. We might, you know, like teams were calling. Of course, like there's a lot of teams that could use me that feel like you know I would take them over the hump to win a championship, especially this year. Um, but yeah, it's been like I said, this is my first time being my name in the news this much consistently and it was about a month straight of like every day a new rumor whether like I turned down this or I'm going here or I'm going there and um yeah I've just been so locked in and like I just love hard and I'm just committed to this group and you know what I what we built here um that yeah I never really thought about being nowhere else and that's a you know time for the summertime to let the business be business. But um, Mm -hmm. right now, I think just locked in on this season with this team.
0: Good. And I mean, I think that's important. You know, you saying that you have that trust and that relationship with the management, because even when, you know, you see the stories that Jalen Brown did the interview saying, you know, he called up management Mm -hmm. and said, okay, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Am I being traded? What are you guys thinking about? And I don't know if that type of relationship exists in every organization. So for you to feel like that you have that, I'm sure, is a big plus.
1: Yeah. No, I'm I'm very grateful for my situation. And, you know, this this franchise gave me a chance. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm i in the NBA because they believed in me. You know what I mean? And that's something that I don't take for granted or I don't take lightly. And also, I just love Masai. I got a great relationship He's with Bobby. Great. You know what I mean? Like, if I got an issue or something, I'm just going to text him or call him. Or when I see him, I'm going to ask him, like, what's up? You know what I mean? And vice mm-hmm. versa. And he comes straight to me with anything that he has to do. Like, I don't really play too much, you know, media games or in-between games where I'm trying to manipulate things like that. I'm more of a direct person. So yeah, that's what allowed me to just stay sane. But, like, definitely a couple of weeks where I got to stay off Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, you got <laughs> yeah. to be able to manage that, you know? So I definitely, yeah. like, have a off and on again thing with Twitter and just balancing that out as best I can. I think we all do. Yeah, Yeah. amen.
0: But I did think what you did was very, very smart and very real where you just put out This is what I'm thinking. I don't want to talk about it until the time comes because you would be asked about it like every other week. Um, Like, what's the update on this? So I thought thought that you handled it. Yeah, and Um,
1: the timing of that was just unfortunate because it was just people who really didn't have a full grasp of the situation. And there was already so many other rumors going on that's like, all right, we're not going to add my contract into this part of the thing. Like, I turned down this, so now I'm on a trade block and X, Y, and Z. Like, people trying to put all these different theories together so it's just you know I'm gonna always speak my piece or address things if I have to
0: yeah absolutely Um, okay so last little section for you so I got very happy when I first met Fred because Fred is from Rockford Illinois I went to University of Illinois and I was like do I know any of your friends I didn't Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but tell the people tell me some of the great parts about growing up in Rockford and tell me some of the harder parts
1: Um, I think the great parts is just having, um, a strong, close community, of growing up where everybody knows everybody. Um, family is huge. Um, it's really like one of those places that just roughens you up, toughens you up and makes you, um, you know, unflappable, unbreakable. Um, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Like it's one of those type of places. And, I owe so much of who I am and my character and just the morals and principles that I stand on to to Rockford and um, just trying to be a solid individual. You know what I mean? Like we're a very judgmental place. Like we got a real small core set of beliefs, so we look at some people like weirdos. It just it just is <laughs> what it is. But um, and then the tough parts, you know, is all the other stuff like the crime and you know the lack of opportunity and um the economic you know, situation there. But I never really focused on that part too much because number one, I was doing the best out of all of my friends. So like, I never wanted to make it seem like, oh, I had it so rough and tough growing up because I know what my brothers and my friends and people that I love went through. That was a thousand times worse than what I went through. Um, And two, like I'm actively trying to change it and I actually have been trying to change it since Mm -hmm. I went away to college, um, to make a change in my community. Um, but also I don't think you can do that while trying to highlight all the bad stuff, you know? So Mm -hmm. I just always try to spin a positive with it because we are making a big change in the city and, um, you know, we'll continue to do that.
0: You know, what I think about is, so you are one of my favorites. You're always one of my favorites. But one of the things that really solidified it for me was in the bubble when everyone was talking about social justice and you know all the police brutality that was happening in that moment, I asked you a question and you were so real in your answer about how it has affected your life uh-huh. and how you take in violence and seeing things like this. Uh-huh. Um, and it was such an honest moment. And one thing that you said in it is there are times that you feel guilty. Uh-huh. What did you mean by that?
1: Um, I think... Like like I said, going back to my previous point, um, I had, so obviously my father was killed when I was five, right? My mom did what she had to do, live with my grandparents back and forth. They lived across the street. They raised us up until about nine or 10, moved in with my stepdad, who is my dad. Um, he raised us. So, essentially, I had two parents, you know what I mean? And between the two, he was a full-time police officer. My mom had a decent job. Like, we had everything we needed, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the light bill may get cut off or they may file bankruptcy or whatever, like, but we had money to play with, you know what I mean? Um, we still did food stamps and all that. Like, we still did all of that stuff, but, like, compared to my friends, like, when I go to my basketball game, my parents was in the crowd. I had basketball sneakers to go to a tournament. I had money to, my mom sent me to live with Antonio Davis uh, for a summer in sixth Mm -hmm. grade to play with him. Like, you know what I mean? I had opportunities and my parents really sacrificed a lot for me to have these opportunities. And the reason why I say that is because I've seen the flip side of that, you know, with the same team, the same kid in the same situation, the same school, even the same neighborhood, you know, they're mom might not have been able to go to the game because she was working. So I I never wanted to make it seem like I was just, oh, the sob story and made it from crumbs to greatness. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I know the infrastructure that I had played a huge part. And I owe that to my parents and my family for sure. And it just shaped me to be who I am. But Mm -hmm. just understanding that not everybody has the same equal opportunity. Yeah. And while I may have had it bad to some people, like, I didn't know that until I went to college. Mm -hmm. And I saw that you could leave your doors unlocked and you can drive a Mercedes (laughs) and you can live in a million dollar home and you can have a chef and you can fly a private jet. Like, I didn't even know these things existed until Mm -hmm. I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, Then I started thinking like, damn, we was okay. We was was eating ribs for breakfast and Thanksgiving dinner for two, three weeks. like. Okay, that's not normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It took me to leave my environment to know that that wasn't normal. But I was never, like, running around like I was messed up when I was in Rockford. I was decent. Yeah. Because your environment
0: around you made you feel that way. So as a dad, how do you make sure your children have that perspective of, okay, we live like this. Yeah. There are people who don't. And I also was one of those people that didn't, you know?
1: Yeah. They won't. <laughs> they they won't. They won't. They won't at all. But again, that's it's an everyday challenge with me. Yeah. Um, so this summer my daughter's five now, so I'm starting to work on her a little bit, that I understand. So we're gonna go give away some of her toys and mm-hmm. things like that and go feed and do some work in the community just so she can see the other side of it. Um, And then, you know, I got to make a decision on schooling and where I want them to go to school and what their social environment is going to be. Like, that's a lot of responsibility to try to shape, you know, little humans. But um, they will never have what I got and where I got it from. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Which is the reason why I work so hard is so they don't have to go through that. Um, But now it's up to them to be greater and and better than me the same way that my parents sacrificed for me to be farther ahead than them. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So... They just gotta give me a little return on my investment when they get older, and you know we're gonna be good.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. Okay, well, as our one of our favorite undrafted players, they want me to ask you your top three undrafted players. I feel like I know one, or at least I should know who number one is.
1: Uh I I think Ben Wallace always yes. comes to mind for yes. sure. He's like amazing. Um John Starks. Mm-hmm. And uh who's the third? Udonis has him. Yes, because like undrafted to a twenty year career staple, um, impeccable name, respect around the world. I got to put him on the list. I like Ud a lot.
0: Yeah, and I would say like honorable mention Bruce Bowen.
1: Oh I feel for like, sure, yeah, yeah Bruce yeah.
0: or Udonis. I feel like yeah. in that in that slot. I
1: think Ud is a little closer to like how yeah. I came <laughs> up than Bruce, but yeah, I like him. I mean, anybody undrafted, I got a soft spot for it for sure.
0: Why do you think players fall through the cracks?
1: Um, timing, opportunity, uh, information. Like, I didn't know that the NBA wants you to shoot and score, like, first. I didn't know that, you know what I mean? It took me Mm -hmm. my first year to be like, we don't, we don't want you to be a floor manager. Like, we don't, we don't need that. You know, Mm -hmm. we need you to shoot and score and be a threat. I'm like, okay. But in college, if I shot some of the shots I shoot now, like, I was getting cussed out the next day. (laughs) Like, it was being on film, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't we got in trouble for shooting floaters. Right. Like, we got in trouble for shooting transition threes sometimes. If they didn't go in, mm-hmm. I didn't know no better. So I think for me, that's what happened. I think people make mistakes. Like, yeah. people in these front offices, they, they are smart people. They don't know everything. And they, they make mistakes and they're wrong just as much as they're right. And mm-hmm. So you get guys that fall through the cracks, Um, that don't quit, that don't give up. You know, I'm looking at, Austin Reeves and Jose Alvarado, and Alex Caruso, like real deal players, you know what I mean? But the draft is for a talent and upside. Mm-hmm.
0: And there really is something too, like you and those players you named, y'all just play with a different type of grit yeah. and intensity.
1: You got to be a dog because nobody don't believe in you anyway. So you got to be a super dog, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because you got to prove it. And, like, now everybody's an underdog. Like, the number one pick is an underdog because <laughs> when he goes on his Instagram, he's going to see a thousand DMs telling him he sucks and he won't make it. He's going to be a bust. But some of us has to prove it, like, to the coach, to the management, to the scout, to everybody. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's just a different level of dog that you got to be.
0: Yeah, and it absolutely shows. Okay, last one for you. What if you weren't an NBA player? What would you be doing? <sighs>
1: Man, I have no idea. I never even thought that far. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I never even thought that far. Like, I was just basketball, basketball. I like football. I stopped playing football.
0: You like music?
1: I like music, but I don't have no musical talent. Like, I can't sing or nothing. So, what? I will produce or be a manager or something? Maybe. I don't know. Wherever college would have took me. Because I was going to go to college regardless. So wherever that would have took me. But yeah, I didn't really have interest in nothing else.
0: What did you major in? Sociology. Okay. So I
1: went to school. I did all my classes. Sociology was the only class I liked. I ended up being my major. I loved it. And that was it. But I don't know what I would be doing if I wasn't playing basketball. I know know now, but I don't know what I would have done back then.
0: Yeah. Something with people.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure.
0: We'll explore, whatever that is. Yeah, no (laughs) doubt.
1: I got to think about it.
0: Yes. Well, Fred, thank you so much for your time. I'm so happy that we got to finally do this. Although I'm sad. You know, Toronto is one of my favorite cities. So I wish we were up there in Toronto doing it. But I'm happy that I was able to make it work in Charlotte. And I got to see a concert. It was a work trip. I was into it. (laughs) Yes. work trip. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Yes, I appreciate you, Fred. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks for having me. (laughs)